episode 28 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the best mouth guard on the market. I'm talking about Sisu mouth guards. Gumby, if you need a mouth guard for a high-impact sport or a team sport, or if you're a little guy or gal and you play a youth sport, you're going to want to head on over to SISUGuard.com and get yourself the mouth guard that's right for your sport or activity. Am I talking the truth or am I talking the truth? You're talking the truth. I'm heading to a competition this weekend, and I'm going to be rocking my Sisu mouth guard because it's the only mouth guard that allows me to breathe while I'm competing, and it keeps my energy up. Who needs performance enhancers when you got Sisu mouth guards to keep your energy up and protect you from getting your chompers mashed in. Episode 28 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. We are rolling. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you so much for getting us in your eardrums. I am one of your two co-hosts, David Tremonti, joined as always by Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com. Our mothership, our home website, you could go on over to MMA-Manifesto.com, click on the podcast tab, check out our archives. We're 27 episodes deep. We've interviewed the likes of Mark Hunt, topical name, Matt Brown, and Andre Arlovsky. Uh, so check that out, and you, of course, can catch us wherever a podcast is being streamed. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Go ahead, subscribe to us. We thank you so much for it. Did I get through everything? Yeah. Uh, friendly reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at Gumby Vreeland or the show at Top Turtle MMA. Uh, but other than that, I think you got it all. All right. So let's start with the news of the day. We live in a steroid-filled world, Gumby. <laughs> we're cleaning up the sport, and I got to tell you, it makes me sad. Yeah. I liken it kind of to like baseball in the early 2000s where like, you know – they're finally catching people, and it's, like, really hard to deal with catching people, but you got to be happy that it's, like, getting cleaned up. But in the meantime, it's just like, shit, when are these flies going to stop dropping? You it's know what just, I mean? It's just – it kind of – I don't know. Like, what does this do for your rewatchability on UFC 200? Which, I'd never watch it again. Right. I'd never watch it the whole thing feels so tainted. It's like John Jones drops out three days before the fight, which I was so excited about. And now, then we get that weird matchup with Anderson Silva versus Daniel Cormier, and then the Brock Lesnar Mark Hunt fight. Is that tainted for you now? Or yeah, it is. Okay. Um, especially knowing that his out of and in competition samples were no good. I mean, he, it, I, I've always said when somebody gets caught and that that like initial catch part of it, you know, where they're like, "Yeah, you saw a possible doping violation." I always like to think. Well, let's wait and see what the B sample is because people have been cleared before with the B sample or people have been cleared before by passing the in competition. I, water. I, like, I, right. I think the, the, the more common one is uh, that they prove that it was in a supplement, tainted supplement, tainted supplement which is what happened to Yoel Romero. He still got a six month suspension and will always be labeled as a cheater because let's face it, he doesn't pass the eye test. <laughs> but I agree with you. It's kind of like I wish they didn't even reveal it up front. Like let it go through the due diligence, in my opinion. Yeah. But, and if but both of these did now, though. Like, right, like, Jones's B sample got it in Lesnar's in-competition one. So, got it in too. the Lesnar sample, you're in the Lesnar case, you're right, because it was both out of competition and in competition. Jones still has more of a fighting chance, I believe, because they can now go and test whatever supplement he claims he took, unknowing that estrogen blockers were in it. And it's very possible. That's what happened to Yola Romero. That's what happened with Tim Dirty Bird Means. Yeah, but have you, have you, so, okay, so I did a little research on Clompafine which is the name of the substance that apparently Jones tested positive for. And it's like typically used to start up testosterone after like a cycle. Yeah. After you're you coming have off. like, yeah, yeah. After you're coming off shit. So like, it doesn't look good. Like, don't get me wrong. It's like, yeah, maybe we want to go back and look at the, the tainted supplement or whatever like that. But in those tainted supplements, usually those things are like, you know, s some small thing that you wouldn't think would be in it. Whereas this is like the thing you need to cycle off of steroids. The thing. I'm actually, I'm going to hold out here. I think it's possible that they test the supplement. You never know what's in these supplements. The FDA doesn't test for it. I saw Bigger, Faster, Stronger. It's on Netflix, people. Uh, you just don't know. Yeah. I'm going to wait and, and take a wait and see attitude. This is what happened with Yoel Romero. This is what happened Tim Dirty Bird Means. 
I, I want to say that, but it it's just getting uh, maybe it's just the number of them that have hit recently that just taint it. Like, like, there's no way well, in my mind that he gets cleared. This is almost this is the crazy thing. Let's look at what's happened this year. It almost it's like it gets swept under the rug. Uh, Chad Mendes is out for two years. Lyoto Machida is out for two years. Frank Mir is going to be out for two years. Mirko Krokop had to retire. He's going to go fight in Risen now. Have, he, did you see that? Speaking of Frank Mir, just a quick side note here. Did you see he asked to be released from his UFC contract? I did. Which to me screams that he wants to be part of that Risen of Rising. Of course. Have, do you see they're having an open weight Grand Prix? Yes. Yeah, he just wants in on that. He's got one more chance to cash his check before he becomes too old. But these are big names that are, I mean, we're really in the cleanup era right now. Yeah. And I can only hope that... These are these are the Maguires and Sosas and Rafael Palmeros. And I can only hope that this leads to the next generation of Trouts and Harpers who are clean, to use yeah. a baseball I, analogy. I, I really... So we think. Yep. I, I really do think that that's going to happen. And I, I think maybe those guys are already there too you know what i mean like I, I don't necessarily think we have to wait you know 10 years like baseball did to get like the clean young guys i think the clean young guys are there now uh it's just like a really rough time for those like middle so i, I want to bring up from a business standpoint just what some of this means so let's just say to your point jones is out for two years and i think we can reasonably assume brock's not going to even bother coming back he makes millions back. of dollars in the wwe he just made 2.5 you can walk with that so he's let's just say he's done but when you look at it we talked about this we've outlined it many times the ufc has their stars for their go-to when they need the pay-per-view money uh what's bringing them over a million pay-per-view buys and it's a connor it's a ronda then underneath that you have john jones and then as brendan Schaub coined the term they could throw up the Brock signal and bring Brock back as a rabbit out of the hat as they did for UFC 200. The numbers came in. UFC 200 did 1.2 million buys, which was obviously under the record set by Brock versus Frank Mir at UFC 100, which did 1.6 million buys. And under UFC 196 back in March, Connor versus Nate Diaz, which did 1.5 million buys. Um, so that being said, if they lose Jones and they lose Brock, that's half of their go-to four stars that they know can pull in over a million buys. They're down to Connor and Ronda, and I got to tell you, Connor and Ronda are kind of volatile games to be in right now. Ronda was suicidal, has a knee injury, no one really knows where her head's at, and Connor just got in a fight with the UFC over doing a press conference. I'm sure he'll come back. UFC 202 will do great, but we don't even know what will happen after that. So as far as stars are concerned, I'm sure the UFC is just like, damn, the steroid testing is really kicking our ass. Yeah, I, I would agree with that to some extent. But I think the other beauty of that is that the UFC has a way, no matter what happens, of finding a way to build new stars. Because if you think about back when, right when GSP retired... Right around when GSP retired was also when BJ Penn lost his belt. Everyone um, was worried about new stars. Nobody was winning the 205-pound title for more than five seconds. Um, the heavyweight division was in disarray. There was all kinds of like nonsense going on, right? That was when Brock left again. It was when Kane was on top, but wasn't really that like million pay-per-view exactly. by draw. Kane yeah. wasn't all that... like. You know, money drawing. The 205 division was volatile. Those two super mega stars in GSP and BJ Penn left. Um, so everybody was like worried, like, what are they going to do? They knew Anderson was in his late 30s. And then, you know, Frankie came along and was selling some pretty good stuff. You know, then you got John Jones being the mega star he was. Shit picks up. It's cyclical. So, people will go down, people will go up. And I think before you steal this from me, real quick, I think the other beauty of it, too, is. Under the new ownership, and this is the first time we've talked about the new ownership, really, that ownership is is a group of people who got into the business as as managers and as people who are good at creating stars and William promoting Morris stars. Agency, yeah. Ari Golden Entourage, if yeah, you will. The, but so they're the people who are good at turning people into stars. So in this case, they're probably the perfect people for it. Okay, so I'm so glad you're saying this because it makes me feel better and I could sleep better at night knowing that the sport I love will be in good hands and they'll create new stars and I won't have to hear idiot podcasters such as us say the UFC is a star problem and all that BS. So I'm not putting a gun to your head. I'm not going to write it down. I'm not holding you to it. But let's just have a back and forth, a tete-a-tete, a discussion. Who do you think right now on the roster, young up and coming could be that next 
Connor Aranda, and I'm not going to hold you to it. Well, we we talked a little bit last week, so we'll start somewhere where we were we were already talking. We talked a little bit last week about Duhu Choi. I think the idea of having an Asian contender or champion as dominant as he has been could be really good for the sport. And obviously it's the agency has got ties to China. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, he's not Chinese, he's Korean, but having a presence in Asia, Asia right. and having him be the first like face of Asian MMA in the modern era would be really big for the sport. And I, I think, you know, when we talked to Art Davey, he talked about getting, global stars. That's why Conor McGregor was, was so just big. Gonna he, like, say, he snagged in the Irish market that, and Ireland went bonkers. That's why Conor McGregor's getting title shots off of beating Dennis Seaver in two rounds. Exactly. he brought a fan base with him. And I think Duhu Choi is a really good point for the Asian market. And then I'm also going to throw out another 145-pounder. I think... Yair Rodriguez could actually pull in that Mexican fan base Absolutely. they've so longed for and tried to do with Kane, but I think that was kind of like a, yeah, he has a brown pride tattoo, but he's American. Yeah. He wasn't really, I, I mean, I don't want to get into like that whole like dispute, but you know what I'm trying to say? He's an, Yair Rodriguez is actually from Mexico. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could have, if you didn't want to go with the, the Velazquez talk, you could have gone Tito Ortiz too, because people talked about Tito Ortiz being the first Mexican champion. He's, and he's from like, Huntington Beach though. Exactly. He's right. from California. Um, another name I'll throw out there too, and I think he's also 145 pounds. He's been away for a little while due to injuries, but Mirsad Bektik. Um, was on an absolute tear before he got hurt. Um, and I'm trying to remember who they had him booked with. They had him booked with some freaking killer, uh, and he got pulled due to injury. And it probably would have been his big um, coming out. His party. big coming out party. Yeah, and he's Bosnian. Okay, so again, a little bit more international flavor. I don't know what the Bosnian MMA the market Bosnian looks for. Yeah, might not be as. As robust as some of the other ones. But no, pro- I, yeah, sure. But, but, you know, he could pull in like a Croatian market along with it because, I mean, they're in the same region. I, you know, historically some I, warring there. But I, I got to say that, uh, you know, Joanna uh, versus Claudia did very good ratings oh, on that- uh, the Friday Night Tough finale. Mm-hmm. So I think they do have, and she is great on interviews and media appearances. Yeah. So I do think they have a budding star in Joanna. Um, I, I want to say this, Polish though, and, and I'm going to give credit to. Um, Man, what's her name? The Claudia Gadelli. No, well, Ronda gonna, Rousey. No, uh, the the Brazilian writer for MMA Junkie. Um, what's? Oh, I do not know her name. Can't remember. Uh, for Fernanda Pretas. That sounds. I believe she said it first. Uh, so Fernanda Pretas said um, the best thing that could have happened for Brazilian MMA would have been if Claudia won, um, and that's more so than if Jose Aldo won because. She's really good on the mic. Mm-hmm. And I actually do think the UFC probably would have, if we're talking about marketability, I think they probably would have preferred Claudia Gadelia one um, because it would have given you like a very marketable Brazilian star that would have also appealed to a U.S. audience. Um, although you're 100% right, uh, Jan Jacek. Uh, yeah, I Give th- her like one or two more absolutely brutal knockouts. You know, or like what she did to uh, Jessica Panay's face twice more, mm-hmm. and and she's selling pay per view on her own. I, yeah, I was gonna say I'm very interested to see when they flip Yoan at a pay per view because she uh, was the co-main event with Pettis versus RDA, then they moved her to Fight Pass versus Penay, and then they moved her to obviously FS1 yep. versus Gedalia. Um, and she's and, doing oh, good numbers no matter what. And where she, she is. was the co-main versus Valerie Letourneau on the Rousey home fight. Very interested to see if she headlined her own pay-per-view. Does she do better than the very low bar set by Mighty Mouse at like 125,000 buys? And I am willing to say yes. Yeah, I think she does do more. But I also think it, it depends on who you pair her with. Um, so Joanna like, Calderwood. So, uh, yeah, if it was Rose. if it was against Calderwood. Or Rose Nama Yunus. I bet you it goes bonkers. Or if they just wanted, if Paige could get three wins in a row and just throw yeah. her as a lamb to the slaughter. Yeah, it, that would probably sell well, but she wouldn't do well. No, she wouldn't. Um, so I, I think those three names would work. Um, but uh, I think if you put her up against, and this is no offense to the, the girl, but the, the one who's just got booked with JoJo Calderwood, oh. Jessica Andrade. Uh-huh. Jessica Andrade just got booked for UFC 203, I believe, against JoJo Calderwood. 
if she beat Calderwood and they gave her the title shot, which at that point she might deserve even, uh, I'm not sure that would sell really well. Because again, a Brazilian who doesn't speak a ton of English, doesn't particularly um, you know, market well in the U.S. versus a Polish fighter. You know, I think having either a U.S. name like Rose Nama Yunus, or technically she's Lithuanian, right, or... Who, Rose, Rose Namajunas? Yeah, yeah, she I comes in she with a from... Lithuanian flag sometimes. Oh, I think she? Or... I thought Lithuanian? She just... I might be wrong I thought about she was Lithuanian. pure Colorado. I think she's born in Colorado, but... No, too... she was, yeah, Milwaukee. Okay, yeah. Milwaukee. Okay, I'm wrong, but I feel like there was some weird flag thing at some point in time. I could be wrong. But back to my original point. If either of them were... Uh, you know, if it was like an American name like her or Paige Van Zandt or a super recognizable name like Jojo Calderwood, I think it would do better than Mighty Mouse. But I, I would worry if it was like a Brazilian star. Well, I'll tell you, I think they've set themselves up pretty well because you have Rose versus Carolina Kowalkowitz, uh at the end of the month. And if Rose wins, I think she's a clear title shot contender. We've already talked about that. If Carolina wins, she'd be 10-0 and in her professional career. She'd be 3-0 and in the UFC. And you'd have a battle of Poland versus Poland. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that'd probably get booked in Poland for like a yeah. FS1 card though right. or something like that, you know, or um, one of those morning fight pass cards on a Saturday so it's local time in Lodz. Um, yeah. But anyway, interesting stuff. So, yeah. you know, the UFC has uh, has their work cut out for them as far as building stars, but they always seem to do it, so no concern on our end. Um, when we move to some of the other news, we get past the steroids, we get past some of the business aspects. I guess we talked a little bit about the new ownership. There were some rumblings that there was already some unhappiness. There's a hiring freeze, apparently, uh, with the UFC office. Uh, that seems that to make sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. transition like, to new ownership. Yeah, I, I feel like that happens in any business. So right? that could just be stupid internet rumblings. Um, what else do you want to talk about? I guess, you know, Jose Aldo said he had a uh, spy in Frankie Edgar's camp. <laughs> I mean, First of all, even if you had that, why the fuck would you say why it? Why would you say it? Yeah, right. what, what's wrong with him? And, um, and doesn't that also just single out Edson Barbosa immediately? Because Barbosa, Barbosa in that I camp? think he was with him and Alvarez, yeah, training with Mark Henry. Oof. Yeah, that, that's an awkward day at the gym tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my other question. Is it just all the talking shit? I think so. Yeah. I, I don't know that he's got anything. I, I think he's probably just saying stuff because he wants to start trying to get into people's heads like Connor got into his. Uh, and I'm not sure it's going to work. And plus, aren't you supposed to do that before the fight? Agreed. <laughs> um, and then the other bit of news uh, was that. Um, you had two guys come out recently. I, you know, we've spoken about this a lot this year. It's becoming more and more of a theme. We could hit on it real quick. Mark Hunt, very upset that Brock popped. He brought up the words fighter union. Um, he's, he's like full on talking to legal teams about how to start one now. And he's no, he's like no joke. He's also advertised. I don't know if you saw this. He advertised that anybody interested in it can give them his or their name. And he will not divulge it until this is like a real, you know, like solidified thing through the lawyers. And, and then you also had TJ Dillashaw went on Team Alpha Male's podcast, which I found really interesting because Faber kicked him out of the gym, but he apparently was not kicked out of going on the was podcast. It, was it the Cody Garbrand one, the No Love podcast? I think like it's, I thought it was just Team Alpha Male no, podcast. I thought. I thought. Garbrand had one, but you you could be right. Anyway, bottom line is TJ was talking about how, and I thought this was actually a really good point. Um, they treat them like employees. You have to wear Reebok. You have to tell you, the quote unquote employer where you are at all times for the USADA testing. But they're independent contractors, and I thought he brought up some actually really solid points, which is when you're an independent contractor, you don't have to tell your boss where you are at all times. Damn straight. And yeah. you don't have to just wear whatever the boss says you have to. You're an independent contractor. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Those are two rather big names, one a former champion and one obviously um, a headliner being Mark Hunt. I, I mean, look, that idea has to like go through at some point in time. It's like only a matter of time before that happens in that matter. By saying only a matter of time, I'm not saying it's done tomorrow or next week or during this year. It could be 10 years down the road, you know, depending on how pathetically people try to put I, this through, but it, it has to happen at some point in time. I, I agree. And I almost want to say the UFC should get their heads around it. What if the UFC 
helped make it happen almost under their own arm. What if they got like a veteran that everyone trusts, like a Forrest Griffin, and said, Forrest Griffin is your union rep to the UFC brass. I mean, that's... that's... He's going to be present for all decisions and speak on behalf of the fighter when we go and we make a deal with Monster that, or Reebok. That's how or... the NFLPA works, right? They they put somebody in charge and they work directly with people all the time. I think that would be incredibly smart on the UFC's part, and I bet you it would get it done quicker for the, the fight because they would have you know their legal team on it um i'm sure you know some people would be skeptical of it still but you're right if you put somebody like forrest griffin or chuck liddell or matt hughes or one of those guys who works for the ufc now and is on their payroll even though they don't technically have a job if you put them in charge of it i mean i think that's that's a brilliant idea um all right so that kind of covers most of the news bits i wanted to get to is there anything else you wanted to share with our adoring public or nah, talk co- about a couple of cool Fight announcements in there. They moved uh, Carlos Condit and Damian Maya off of that UFC. What was it? 202. 202. Yeah, they're no longer on that. They're main eventing UFC on Fox 21 in Vancouver. At the end of, like a week later. Yeah, so, I mean, they moved it a little later, but I think they were worried about not having a headliner for Vancouver. You know, like a fight fell through or something like that. So they wound up with uh, those two instead. It definitely takes a little bit off a of 202, or at least a little of the excitement for me, but that's a card that's going to sell no matter what. Exactly, yeah. yeah I, me and you could fight on the prelims, and fucking, it would still sell. Yeah, right. What else? Eh, most of them are like little matchups here and there, but uh, the one I did like was Sam Elvey agreed to fight again in August. Uh, I think it's on the Salt Lake City card, which makes it him it's, have a. It's on the van, it's on that Fox Twenty One, the same one that's headlined oh, it's, by Condit. It's on the Vancouver, yeah, one. Vancouver, Vancouver one, August twenty so, seventh. So that makes him fight in June, July, and August. Three fights, uh, three months. That trick summer. That's freaking awesome. Good for him. I guess when you're as exciting as he is, you can't keep him away from the TV. Smiling Sam Alvey. He uh, decision against Elias Theodoro. Just submitted Eric Spicely with that ten finger guillotine. Nobody and, guessed submission win for Sam Alvey. And now he'll go against uh, Kevin Casey. Oh, I got one thing before we cut to our interview with UFC legend and Hall of Famer Dan the Beast Severn. Did you see EBI last week? Uh, I actually didn't see it. Yeah, I was on vacation on Saturday, so I missed it. Do you know what happened? Uh, I do know that Eddie Cummins became is the first person to win the biggest jackpot. The yeah, I think he won forty. Well, he submitted everyone and got twenty for winning. So I think he his total take home was forty k. That's not bad for jujitsu tournament. For jujitsu, that's awesome. But uh, what was funny was he had um, I think it was two rear naked chokes. And two heel hooks, obvi. Um, but one of the heel hooks in the second round, and I can't remember who it was against, was literally like, you know when you heel hook that white belt who doesn't know about heel hooks yet? It was like a dude that just got freaked out and was who, like, he's got my heel, I'm tapping. Who the fuck signs up for that tournament and doesn't like gratuitously I'm, train I'm heel hooks? I'm telling you, man. It's, I was thinking about it. Like he, His first match, I think he got a rear naked choke within two minutes, and I get hit in the head too much to remember names. I'm sorry. I was so into it on the night of, but I can't remember names. And then the guy who he ended up facing, or no, I'm sorry, the next match, so the winner would face Eddie Cummins, this guy pulls a guillotine for five minutes, just drains his arm out for five minutes, and uh, and he didn't even end up winning. But I'm sitting saying to myself that Cummins and Danaher must be in the back just laughing to themselves. <laughs> like, they're finishing matches in two minutes with heel hooks, and you got a guy trying to finish a guillotine for five minutes they're just I find Danaher and that whole team so much more like tactically smarter in the way they go about this. And they're exposing the fact that most BJJ guys, gi guys, are just, you know, they're allergic to the leg lock game. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And I, I will say that Donner posted something about how uh, the two rear naked chokes for Cummins were big because people had previously said he was yeah. only good at heel hooks. Not true. But it was a he he attributed it to a lot of his the new back game system that he's been working on and that made Gordon Ryan so successful in the EBI six. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to me that they were like incorporating that. And he said, uh, and it, this is not a direct quote, but pretty damn close, that it will revolutionize the BJJ submission only world just as much as their leg lock system damn yeah so he thinks pretty highly of their new back uh 
back take back system. take system back game system which i think is why gordon ryan was sitting like a parrot on what's his face his shoulders the, the russian uh, bear shizzy yep. yeah uh so interesting nevertheless so i didn't get a chance to watch it but i'm sure i will yeah go back and watch it it was a great event as always i love ebi i love that it's on fight pass all right we will now transition to our interview with ufc legend dan the beast Severn. This interview is brought to you by New England Submission Fighting. New England Submission Fighting, mine and Gumby's home gym in the lovely, quaint, picturesque town of Amherst, Massachusetts. Classes six days a week, no-gi submission grappling, submission wrestling, call it what you will, is the specialty. Come on down, check it out if you're in the area, tell them Dave or Gumby sent you, you'll be treated with a hug and a choke. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with Dan the Beast Severn. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are have the pleasure of talking to UFC Hall of Famer uh, Dan Severn. Dan Severn uh, has been a veteran of over a hundred professional fights. He's been in Pride, WEC, UFC. So, uh, Dan, we'll kick right into it. Um, you know, y- you've had a fight booked as recently as a couple years ago. Um, there's all kinds of talk of Hoist Gracie putting your name in his mouth all the time. Uh, is there any itch to get back in the cage anytime in the near future? Well, gentlemen, I retired as of January 2013, but I retired with a clause. Uh, in my final, in the back up just a little bit further, in my final five years, I was trying to make one of three matches happen. Right in order, one more match with Mark Coleman, Ken Shamrock, Royce Gracie. I reached out to all three people because I don't usually use too many people in between. As I say, if I want to know something, I'm going to speak to the horse's mouth himself. So basically all three gentlemen agreed to do a match with me, but for some reason, always excuses coming up and none of them materialized. So when I retired, I said, I retired. I said, you know, I'm retiring now, but if one of these three guys, Finally steps up to the plate. I will seriously contemplate coming back out of retirement. I say it like that because if they waited, you know, 10 years and I'm weighing 500 pounds, I got a doubt if I'll be coming back out of retirement at that point. <laughs> but I'm in still relatively decent shape, at least good enough to put a whooping on any one of those three. But I, I should say there's only two on the list anymore because Mark Coleman is off the list. He's had a couple of hip replacements. Mark is not doing too well health-wise, so he's, he's off the list. Fair Again, enough. Again, in ways, they are viable. As a matter of fact, what you guys probably don't know is that I was slated for a match with Ken that was supposed to take place this past March, of which he bailed out uh, ten, actually, nine days before the match. This was it for fighting under the Bellator promotion, yes? No, it was not. No, oh. the uh, it was for again, it's not a promotion, but a internet marketing company, but known as the UR Network. Interesting. They're the ones who had contacted me back in I think around November 2015, and said we heard that you would consider coming out of retirement for a match against Ken Shamrock. Is that true? I go, you go on. You have my interest. He was going to fight on a Friday night. The original date, he was going to fight. Bellator, when he makes his announcement, he's fighting on Bellator on a Friday night. And he's supposed to face me on Sunday. How is that going to be possible? How many states do you think is going to allow something like that? Right. And so, my, my point, my, my, the only reason I'm, I'm being so adamant about this is because it was pure bullshit. Ken Shamrock never had no intention of facing me in the first place, and yet he took money from a company. He signed the letter of intent, so it's being signed. And now, and now the same company is approaching me again saying that Ken still has instance. I told unless you can lock him into something, or unless you, the company, wants to pay me for the time I'm taking off to train for someone that I doubt is going to show up, I have no interest whatsoever. Produce or don't waste my time. I think that's more than fair from your side of things. And obviously, you know, you and Ken, one and one in your career against each other, still a lot of bad blood there. I think it would be fun to see you guys uh, finish off the trilogy, so to speak. Um, but how that's going to... 
it's marketable. Yeah, for sure. And now with Hoist, obviously you guys fought at uh, UFC 4 in the tournament finals. Um, that was your debut in the UFC. He caught you with the triangle choke. I think it was around 15 minutes into the fight. Has that loss just kind of weighed on you? Why is Hoist the third name in that? You mentioned Coleman, Ken, and Hoist. Is that just about avenging the original loss, or do you have some sort of bad blood with Hoist? Why is Hoist of interest to you still? I, I don't I don't know him. It's, it's kind of like Ken. I don't know Ken. So it's not that I, I know him enough to say I hate that person. No. I just don't care for the way that they conducted themselves or the way that they elaborate on things. So Cynthia's like, if you want to do a match, let's do a match. That's totally fair. Now, and, then, and we'll let the results speak for itself. And that's why we all love fighting. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you fought so many times, Dan. I, I have to ask, I mean, are there fights that you've just, I have to imagine you've forgotten about a lot of them. Do people come up to you sometimes and maybe bring up a fight that even you have to say, God, I, you know, I forgot all about that fight. Having fought over a hundred times, I, I mean, how do you kind of, when you look back at your career, you can't remember all the fights, right? Oh, correct. You are most correct. That's, that's just in the MMA world. I just start looking at what I did in my amateur wrestling career, freestyle wrestling career, Greco-Roman wrestling career, what I've done in judo, sambo, and whatever else I, I jumped into. I mean, I, I literally have thousands of matches. Do I remember them? Nope. I remember the losses, though. <laughs> right. So I was going to say, let's just play a game here real quick. Uh, John Jensen, King of the Cage 14, 2002. Do you remember what happened? Nope. nope. <laughs> oh, sure. I must, must have won, but, but you, know, you did. Yeah. I don't, yeah. TK, I TKO remember. in the first round. Oh, okay. See, but, but I don't remember. I mean, I, I do remember the loss himself. Right, right. Those stick out. Well, you also. You yeah, were, well, even, even, the, even the first time that you know, I did an interview with the guy, says, well, so how was the fight for Spiffer? I go, who? For <laughs> Spiffer. I go, I fought him, and, like, and then, then the guy's like, well, well yeah, and don't you remember? I go, I said, must have beat him then, because do I remember? Nope. <laughs> and I'm sure, but he definitely remembers it, because you were certainly a legend fighting a young up-and-comer. Funny how oh, that yeah. works well, out. I, I, well, guys, I started my amateur wrestling career in 1969. I've been teaching amateur wrestling since 1971. I won my first national title in 72, and you were born when? The two of you were born when? In the early 80s, sir. Uh, I was born yeah, in the late 80s. <laughs> and, and that's just my way. I, I know that. As, as that I've been around competing longer than most of my opponents have been alive. And it's the fact that I am still out there doing things. That speaks volumes for who I am. The test of time is not the greatest test ammoni of any athlete. There are lots of people that will be doing like that. A one and done. But to know that you lay down the line again and again and again, you find another human being that walks this planet that has over four decades of competition. I have over four decades. Yeah, and the longevity is, I mean, really second to none. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask, I know, obviously, you can't remember them all, but you were part of two very historical shows. You were part of the WEC, the first show of the WEC, very famous fight promotion out of Northern California. You fought Travis Fulton. And also, you were part of the first Pride show in 1997. Uh, you fought with Kimo Leopoldo, also of early UFC fame. Do you have any recollections of either of those shows um, or any thoughts on those two promotions? Um, yes, I remember the Kimo Leopoldo match because it was ruled a draw. Right. And to me, I was not satisfied with the results. And so even when, when the match was done and we're in the bank and they're doing this, you know, they got the old media press conference and saying like this, you know, I was saying I did that, don't accept the draw. Even then I go, who left the trail of blood across that campus? <laughs> I said, let's go right back out there and let's finish this. I go, I said, the original rules of uh, mixed martial arts was unlimited time. I'm ready to keep on going. One of us eventually will give in. Won't be me. <laughs> and now they didn't care for pride. The fact that they did not test their ethics whatsoever. 
Correct. People had a big tattoo of uh, Jesus across his, uh, his uh, abdomen right there. I, my comment was, Jesus never looked so buff. <laughs> That's a great line. But I have already outlived, I think, five or six of my cage-fighting opponents and almost 30 of my professional wrestling partners, and none of them were older than me. So, Dan, that's one thing I did want to ask you, and I'm so grateful that I get to now. Um, you you fought in Pride once at Pride 1, the draw with chemo. Why did you never go back? So many U- early UFC stars such as yourself ended up getting some, you know, what I are reported as big paydays in Pride. Why did you never return to Pride? Uh, I was staying plenty busy. I, mean, I just had promotion after promotion that was contacting me. And as they contacted me, it was kind of like, I just just filled in a weekend here, filled in a weekend now. You know, just, again, to, to keep, keep your, your listeners a little bit of that, what, what we're talking about here, most of them only know about mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts has approximately 41 rules. The old NHB, otherwise known as No Holes Barred, had two. Those being, do not bite your opponent. And rule number two, no sticking fingers in the eye sock. No eye gouge. End of the rules. End of the rules. Anything that your imagination can conjure up, you are good to go. There were no weight glasses. There were no time periods. It was bare knuckled action, and it was unlimited time. So a whole different predecessor than what is done today. Remember, back in the early UFCs, you did not have a Friday night weight in. You had a Friday night press conference because there wasn't a weight class. Mm-hmm. It was whatever you wanted to weigh. And, and, and the other aspect you look at, you could not look up. The, the Internet wasn't there that I could just say, okay, I need to go look up who this person is. Now, the very first time that they put that I knew about an opponent was for the ultimate, ultimate. They tell me like a month and a half out, uh, my first match, because they had always got the bingo ball machine, is going to be Patson, a six-foot-tall, just under 200-pound chicken box. So, okay, I'm preparing for Pat Smith. I arrived for the Friday night press conference knowing that Pat Smith, you know, okay, I'll find that right there. Pat Smith did not... Sorry, GPS talk is here right now. And uh, Pat Smith did not pass the medicals and now the substitute, uh, the polar bear, Paul Varlins. I'm like, who? <laughs> I don't know who the polar bear Paul Varlins is. <laughs> and so all I know, I find out, um, I have a couple of my guys. I go, they went to a local blockbuster video. <laughs> found an old VHS tape that had Paul Varlins on there. And that was the first chance. I had a chance to see. Now says a six foot tall, under two pound guy. Now I have a what six foot ten, three hundred and forty pound guy. A little bit of different options here right now. Yeah, I'm saying this out less than twenty four hours before, but that's you know how many guys would willing to accept a match like that? Not too many, and and that actually brings me to my next question here. So uh, obviously, you know, modern day MMA is so different. There's you know. Those fights that, you know, people, you know, dub technical and wind up being kind of boring to watch. Um, and it just, you know, takes so much of the, the original spirit out of it. What is your stance on what, you know, modern MMA has become versus what you used to do? The guys that first went in there, and I saw myself in the same category world, a lot of one-dimensional athletes. We were just karate guys, just boxers, kickboxers, just wrestlers, just jujitsu guys. And you... You quickly found out that, uh, oh gosh, matches match start on our feet. I need survival skills and strike, whether it's just to defend or if that is my, my arsenal. And then, uh, uh, these guys matches end up in clinches or takedowns or, uh, jammed up to the cage wall. So the strikers realize, well, I need survival skills and there's grappling out here right now. If I get taken down, stuff like this. So the, the, the sport started to evolve even as the very first show took place to realize yeah, you, you might be a phenomenal striker, but if you take it down on the ground, 90 plus percent of your arsenal just went out the door. So, you know, today's athlete compared to yesteryears, it's night and day difference. You have 
guys now that can grapple with the best of grapplers or can strike with the best other strikers. The only thing that I, I say, give the sport another, say, about four years. Get on that 24, 25-year period of time. You'll see that the new added dimension. It's already been happening for about the last year where, where the athletes will be starting to utilize the cage wall. They're doing it already to work. You know, they're bouncing off the wall, throwing flying knees, Superman punches, things of that nature, or stepping off and throwing head kicks. I'm talking to the point that I'll piss you off there, Dan, and, and you're chasing me across the cage, and literally I run right up the cage wall. <laughs> and I do a complete backflip, slap on a rear naked choke, and before my feet ever hit the ground, I have choked you out. Now, that's a, a, a grandiose example, but I think that is what the sport is headed for. Because fighters are a dime dozen. Supply and demand is so lopsided right now. So how many people are dying to get on the big shows? Uh, um, opportunities to showcase their skills. It just is so lopsided. It is. It is. A lot of fighters, right? I mean, the UFC has over 500 on their roster as we speak. Which is a good segue, actually, to asking you, so what are what are you doing now? I want to give you a chance to plug, wh- what's the new endeavor that you're involved with? Well, I, I still, uh, I'll tell you about some of the same, same things that I've been doing all along. I've been working with law enforcement since, I think, 94, corrections since 95. And from there, I've gone into working with the uh, Air Marshals, Border Patrol, and military. This has been such a pleasure and an honor to get this time with you. We can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I mean, you are a legend in this sport. You took it from NHB to MMA and to your own credit and to your own point, you don't even have cauliflower ear and you could still have an intelligent conversation. And this has just been great for us. And we can't thank you enough. Well, you just wait until the next installment of what I do for the sport and for the athletes. that, I won't, I won't tip my card. And at this point, it'll be coming out here before the end of this year's out. All right. You heard it here first. Well, we will look forward to that. I can't wait. And, uh, Dan, thank you so much. Take care, guys. Oh, actually, let me throw the last book. If, you, if your listeners want to know anything more about me, simply go to dan7.com. You'll see uh, I am the head ring master of a three-ring circus, including a side freak show. There you go. <laughs> Dan7.com. We love it. Thank you so yeah. much, Dan. Take care, guys. So there you have it, Gumby. Dan the Beast Severn. Yeah, uh, and you know he he makes some some pretty good points about how he uh, he doesn't have you know quite nearly the brain injury as other people do. But I also liked how he talked about uh, some perspective ideas of what the future MMA might look like. Things got a little weird there for it, a second. It was, it was pretty fucking crazy. But uh, yeah, I kind of but, I, but I, I dig it. Yeah, I, I like where his head's at. Um, no, but that was awesome uh, and an honor, obviously, to catch up. With one of the pillars of the early UFC and really the first uh, power wrestler to come yeah, into the he, UFC. He revolutionized the game. He the pulled, way. I think he pulled the first like power double, if I'm not mistaken, at uh, UFC 4 um, when he lost to Hoist in the finals. But his first two fights were a murdering because he was a he was a wrestler. Yep, changed the game. Like him and uh, Coleman. And, and then, yeah, right. And then Fry, Fry. Fry to Coleman. It was like yeah. Severn to Fry to Coleman was yeah. like how the baton went with the crazy. power wrestlers. Yeah, um, crazy. All right, so we'll transition now to UFC on Fox 20. It's this coming Saturday from Chicago. Originally, Glover uh, versus Rumble was on this card, yet not the main event. That got moved. Uh, Holly Holm versus Valentina Shevenko is your main event. Holly Holm, of course, coming off that brutal loss in the fifth round via rear naked choke to Misha Tate. And before that, she beat some girl. What is this name? Oh, Ronda Rousey. She beat Ronda Rousey. I believe the Brazilians call her Honda Housey. Honda Housey. (laughs) Um, So she is two and one in her last three. Valentina Shevenko, on the other hand, coming off a loss to um, Amanda Nunes. Uh, but she won the third round, in in this guy's opinion, and looked really good on her feet in that third round against Nunez. Before that, she beat Sarah Kaufman via decision. She beat Jan Finney in Legacy. So she's 2-0 and in the UFC. She's 3-0 and in her last three. She's 12-2 and as a pro. Sorry, she's 1-1 and in the UFC. Uh, she's 12-2 and as a pro. She's fighting the former champ Holly Holm this Saturday. Who you got? So... 
I, I like what you said about Shevchenko, Morgan, uh, Nunez to the point of exhaustion where she won the third round and arguably probably could have gotten a draw out of that for, in some people's mind because she did so well in that, that third round. Rocked Nunez. And, and I mean, Nunez is the champ now. Um, and in a lot of people's mind, that is a good enough reason to pick her. But when you think about somebody like Holly Holm, Holly Holm is not the type of person who's going to empty her gas tank and gas out. Did she gas out against Misha Tate? She might have. In a I, grappling I, I mean, yeah, gas she out. Got not... but, and that's, that's the difference. I'm glad you said that, too. Because Misha Tate is the type of fighter who will tire you out. Amanda Nunes will tire herself out. Holly Holm will not tire herself out. You have to tire her out. And I don't see Shevchenko as the type of person who can do that to Holly Holm. Um, and it's largely because uh, she's primarily a striker and she's going to strike with Holm. Um, and in my, the, you know, the fights we've seen with Holly Holm, she's very conservative when she's fighting a striker. Um, you know, she has that like boxing mentality that I'm going to play defense and I'm going to hit her when I need to hit her. Uh, but I'm mostly just going to make sure she doesn't hit me. You know, this fight to me, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a, a carbon copy of when she fought that uh, Marion Renault. When Holly Holm did. Holly Holm fought Marion Renault, who has pretty good boxing, has good BJJ, but just has no, is definitely not going to get Holly Holm down and is definitely not going to outstrike her. So Holm just outpointed. Had a, yeah, she had a lot of trouble getting inside on Holm to yep. even attempt to take down. Well, because Holm is so long. Right. So you're going with Holly. I'm going to go with Holman. I bet you a decision, to be honest with you, too. I wouldn't be surprised at a five-round decision. I'm thinking the same thing. Not going to disagree with you. Holm, the minus 225 favorite. Shevanko, you could catch at a plus 175 as much as plus 225. Dog. The co-main event is a lightweight bout. It is Edson Barbosa versus Gil Melendez coming off a steroid suspension. Um, Gil Melendez, of course, last fought. Eddie Alvarez, the now champ, lost via split decision, won the first round, and then uh, lost the next two. Uh, that was in uh, Mexico, actually, at elevation. Uh, he lost to the champ, Anthony Pettis, via guillotine choke before that. We're going back to December of 2014. Beat Diego Sanchez in a barn burner of what looked like just a street fight in the streets of Mexico. Um, that was back in October of 2013. So Gil Melendez is 1-2 and two in his last three and coming off a steroid suspension. Um, and then... Uh, Has he been away for just one year? Uh, so, right, it was June of 2015 because it was before the, like, stringent USADA. Yeah, it was before USADA got years. Right. Might um, as well say with the steroid theme of today. Um, Edson Barbosa, of course, is coming off a win over Anthony Pettis. Sent him packing from the 155-pound decision. It was a unanimous decision victory at UFC 197 in April. Before that, he lost to Tony Ferguson via Darce Choke in the second round. Crazy, bloody fight. And he beat Paul Felder. Very cool fight via unanimous decision back in July of 2015. So Barbosa is 2-1 and one in his last three. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the underdog in this one. and I, I'm, I guess I'm just assuming he's an underdog, but I'm going to go with Gil Melendez. Uh, Gil Melendez, the plus 180 underdog yeah, to Barbosa, the minus 215 to highest 225 favorite. Yeah, so a huge underdog, almost 2-1 to one underdog here. And I, I think that he's a smart play because if you look at the people Barbosa is beat, none of them are guys who are going to put you up against the cage and grapple you. You know what? Or people who are going to dirty box you. You know, all of them are guys who want to strike you from distance. Even the bloody war with Tony Ferguson, that was a strike from distance war. That's why he bloodied up Tony Ferguson and Tony Ferguson bloodied him up. But then when Tony took him into the ground, it was all Tony Ferguson. You know, and, you know, Pettis isn't going to take you down. Felder's not going to take you down. I think Melendez is just a very bad style matchup for somebody like Edson Barboza. Um, and I think the the bookmakers are, are sleeping on, you know, Gil Melendez in that sense. And yeah, Gil Melendez has been away from the game for a year because of his suspension. But you're crazy to think he's not training all the time with the Diaz brothers and Jake Shields and shit like that. He's going to be ready for this fight. And I think he's a really smart underdog play here. All right. Very nicely, uh, very nicely thought out. Uh, I'm still going with Barbosa myself. I like that he's working with Mark Henry and Eddie Alvarez and those guys. I agree with you. I do worry about Gil Melendez getting inside and taking him down, grinding out a win. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just feeling Barbosa right now. Uh, so that's who I go with. We move on to the heavyweight offering on the card, 
And you have Francis. I'm going Niganu. to Naganu. Thank you. I got you. Uh, and he'll be fighting. The, you're gonna, I'm going to need help with this one. Bahan Mahajevic. I think it's Bojan Velekovic. Uh, that sounds correct. I'll uh, I'll trust you on it. Yeah, I could be right on that. Don't quote me. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, you know. The Likovic is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in his second UFC fight. So I will give you yeah, that right give now. Give me the rundown. Uh, <laughs> uh, Make me sound smart. <laughs> so we'll start with Naganu. Naganu's 2-0 and in the UFC. He has a KO over Luis Henrique and a TKO over Curtis Blades back in April of this year. Uh, in his pro career, he is 7-1. and one. Uh, His one loss came back at Fight Contenders 21 all the way back in December of 2013 to a guy named Zamana Cease. And that was in Paris. France, Bahan. Did I say that right? I, I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's Bohan. You say like a like a J. Yeah, he's making his UFC debut. He's ten and three as a pro, and he's coming off a TKO victory over Mohamed Mektik. Um, so you know what? He looks kind of like a badass. He's 36 years old. He has sleeve tattoos. He's from Serbia. Um, you know, he, uh, he seems like the real deal if you ask me, but he does have three losses on his record and those three losses came via, uh, two decisions and one submission. Yeah. I, I know less about Milikovic, uh, than, you know, Naganu. Naganu obviously with a couple of fights in the UFC, uh, looks very strong. I mean, I, I had picked Curtis Blades as like one of the incoming heavyweight prospects, um, and, and he just beat the shit out of him. I mean, he, he blew Blades' eye up really nasty. That wound up being a doctor stoppage. Um, in the fight with Henrique, he had even gotten tagged a little bit, but when he throws that knockout punch, it is deadly. Uh, you want to talk about deadly. The odds makers have set this as Naganu a minus 700 favorite. You could get your boy Bajan as a plus 500 dog. Yeah, I think Molikovic is probably uh, a better, has a better chance of winning than plus 500. So, I mean, definitely worth an odds lay down at five to one in a heavyweight division where, you know, Naganu is the type of guy who does get hit once in a while. Uh, but Milikovic is uh, not really the type of guy uh, who's going to go out there and dazzle with boxing. He's more of like a gritty finisher. So I'm going to go with Naganu with the knockout. Love it. Um, and then we'll move to what's kicking off the main card on Fox. It's going to be Felice Herrig versus Kalen Curran. Herrig, of course, coming off a loss to Paige Van Zandt. It was a unanimous decision loss uh, back in April of 2015, so we have not seen her in over a year. Beat Lisa Ellis before that with an arm bar and lost to Tisha Torres before that, so Herrig is 1-2 and two in her last three. Curran is coming off a win over Emily Kagan with a rear naked choke back in December of 2015. Uh, lost to Alex Chambers, lost to Paige Van Zandt before that, so she is 1-2 and two in the UFC what are you thinking here? I think Kaylin Curran looks way, way better than one and two if you look back at her, her record because she put up a pretty damn good fight against Paige Van Zandt until Paige started getting the takedowns. Um, and then if you look at her fight with Alex Chambers, yeah, Alex Chambers, you know, not a world beater at this point in time. Alex Chambers lost. Uh, is that Was that a three-round, third-round submission for Chambers? Do you still have that? The intern, the intern still on lost that, that page. All right, Hold we'll, on, we'll come right back to that. But I'm I'm fairly certain, if I'm not mistaken, it was a third round submission. Um, you are correct, sir. Correct. Thank you. Okay, so third round submission, and if I remember the fight right, clearly Curran first round, clearly Curran second round, Curran winning the third round, caught in the third round by by Chambers. So she really had a win over Chambers and all of that. Um, I think her submission game is better than Felice Herrig, and that really is what Felice Herrig needs to win. She uses her submission game as kind of like her default fallback. I need to pull this win out of my ass. That's what I'm going to use. Um, and I think Curran has got the leg up on that one, so I'm going to go with Curran on this. Boom. She is the minus 110. Well, they're both actually favorites. They're both at about minus 110. You can get Herrig as low as minus 105. So Vegas doesn't really even know what to do with this yeah it's definitely a tight fight um but i do like her submission game a little bit better the undercard which we will now move to the preliminary card is actually on fox not on fs1 make note of that um and we'll go through these in rapid fire fashion gumby eddie wineland the plus 
plus 140 dog to Frankie Signs, a minus 165 favorite. Your thoughts? I, I like uh, Eddie Winelet a lot. Uh, I'm a little worried Signs is going to get him down all the time. I'm going to go with the safe pick here, which is Frankie Signs. Alexander Yakevlov is the plus 215 favorite. Uh, he'll be fighting Kamaru Usman. And he's a pl- uh, minus two fifty dog. Yeah, Yak or minus two fifty favorite. Uh, minus two fifty. Minus two fifty favorite. Yakolev is the one who beat Gray Maynard, I believe. Um, but his game, uh, just it, Usman's game is the complete kryptonite of uh, Yakolev's. He's going to stop his takedowns. And he's going to take him down himself. You're going to see a lot of Usman from the top game in that fight. And Usman with the either a TKO from the top game or a decision win. Usman 2-0 and in the UFC. Uh, we move on and you'd have Darren Elkins, the minus 180 favorite to go to Fredo Pepe, the plus 160 dog. Pepe, a once highly thought of prospect, fallen on some hard times here. Yeah, I, I like Pepe because he's got such a good submission game. But Elkins, again, just the worst kind of fighter for him. Takedown machine. Yeah, he's just going to... I mean, remember when Elkins just took down Chaz Skelly a bunch of times? And Chaz Skelly's a hell of a wrestler. So I'm going to say Elkins gets on top of him. If Pepe can't throw something up from his back, this is a three-round decision. Uh, J.C. Cottrell versus Michael Prezeris. I dare you to tell us anything about those guys. So Cottrell, I believe, is the... It's either Legacy or RFA champ um, or was headlining cards for one of those two... um, because I remember seeing him on Axis TV a couple of times. He's got like a, a Hughes-esque game to him. Uh, big, heavy, crazy-looking takedowns and stuff like that. Prezeris is, is a very legitimate BJJ black belt. But again, this is just going to kind of be the theme of the card. I like the newcomer with the takedowns over the guy who is going to rely on his submissions. You can get that newcomer, J.C. Cottrell, as a plus-190 dog. Pizarras right now trending around a minus-225, minus-235 favorite. Now, that takes care of the preliminary card on Fox. We move to the UFC Fight Pass prelims, headlined by Alex Oliveira versus James Muntasri. You... Uh, give me a pick here, please. Uh, I'm going to go with Muntasri. I like his striking game. Oliveira's good on his feet, uh, but I feel like Muntasri has the chance to like take him down if he really needs to, and he looked bad on his back against uh, Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, Mutasri is two and one in his last three coming off a spinning back kick and spinning back fist of Anton Zafir at UFC 193 back in November. Zafir, of course, took that fight on short notice. Alex Oliveira did not look good against Donald Cerrone coming <laughs> off that <laughs> statement and triangle choke loss. Um, but if you wanted to take some action on this, you get Alex Oliveira as a minus 215 high as minus 225 favorite Mutasri about a plus 180 dog Hector Urbina versus George Sullivan in the welterweight division go I like George Sullivan by uh dominating position landing strikes from distance he's a taller guy uh Urbina off of one of those tough Latin America or tough I believe it was tough Mexico actually um seasons where I wasn't with the exception of Yair Rodriguez and Mowgli Benitez wasn't really impressed with the talent down there he it was tough Latin America too it was a loss via unanimous decision back in November of 2015 uh, I guess at the finals of that, but he did beat Edgar Garcia at UFC 180, so he's one and one. But you're taking Sullivan here. All I, day. I'm taking Sullivan. Um, and if friend you, of the show, George if, Sullivan. If you wanted to take Sullivan, he's a minus 200 favorite. Urbina, the plus 170 dog. Moving on, you have uh, featherweight offering Jim Allers versus Jason Knight. Jason Knight looked so good against Kawajiri off of his back. I kept hoping he would get that submission because he was so clearly losing uh, a three-round decision the whole time. Um, but he's really, really, really fun off his back. Unfortunately, I don't think Ehlers is going to take him to his back. I think he's just going to stand and punch him. Um, and what I saw of Knight striking, I like Jim Ehlers. And Ehlers, the minus 200 favorite in that fight. But if you were going to take a play on uh, Jason Knight, you could get him as a plus one. 160 trending as high as plus 175 dog um and then this will actually round out the show for us luis Henrique versus dimitri smolyakov uh is kicking off the entire show who you got i like smolyakov uh he's a 
prospect out of Russia. I believe he's eight and zero. Very very fun hands. He's he's very quick with his hands, but he's also got a big Greco Roman and combat sambo background. He is eight and zero, and he's age thirty three out of Russia. You're right. Yeah, he's age thirty three out of Russia, so he is getting a little bit older, especially to call him a prospect. He's fought. Spoiler alert. He's fought nothing but cans. The guys he's fought in Russia are nothing. Mostly losing records or you know pro debuts or stuff like that. But the speed of his hands uh, makes me like it. And uh, the fact that he's got multiple different backgrounds of takedown game. Um, and Henrique, you know, just kind of lacks that killer instinct for me. So I'm going to go with the Russian. All right. We are going with the Russian. I will break you. Ivan Dragov, shout out. Uh, Smolyakov is the minus 160 favorite. In fact, Henrique, you could get at a plus 135, highest plus 145 dog. That does it for us this week, Gumby. Great breakdown, lightning fast. Got the gambling odds out there. Gave a little insight to it. And we got to talk to a legend of MMA, uh, Dan Severn. And we, of course, broke down all the the sadness and pity in the modern UFC game with, uh, with all these guys popping for steroids. But it doesn't make us love the sport any less. We'll be back next week. We'll, of course, be previewing the Lawler versus Woodley pay-per-view that everyone seemingly has forgotten about and is pretty weak and sandwiched in between two awesome cards, or at least two very hyped cards. But we will be here to break it down for you. We thank you so much for listening. Catch the show at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA at Gmail, and check out MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership. Click on the podcast tab. You can listen to our old links. Send us hate mail, fan mail, hate tweets, fan tweets, and look out because Gumby's creating a Facebook page next week, and it's going to be wild. This is David Tremonti signing off for Daniel Gumby Vreeland. We're out. We'll catch you next week. We will choke you later. We thank you for listening. I've run out of things to say. Bye-bye.